welcome back to Kamerion, a podcast about life and growth as a Kikokishijo. Last week, we talked about privilege, where I tried my best to explain how life is just really complicated. And this week, we are talking about the future. What are our next steps, and what do we envision for our future? So, thanks to the pandemic, the plans that I had for after graduating,、um, I graduated in two weeks,、uh, they're, they're just gone.、Um, there's no way to put them into you know, reality or like make them a reality. I didn't feel like it was worth going forward with any of the, the plans that I had, so that I just don't really have anything planned for next. Mm hmm. Why, why not stay in Japan? Come back to Japan and stay here. So, the current plan is to go to Japan for just the summer、um, and stay there until November at the very latest. So, the theory would be that I would be able to find a job or find something to do full time, permanently,、um, or you know, semi permanently, meaning a couple of years, until.、Um, I decide to do something else. So、uh, I have that November deadline because of like immigration issues with the United States. And also because as a, as a principal, I, I don't want to stay home、um, and be like stuck at home, but I want to go back because it's a more financially secure place where if I'm here in LA until my lease runs out in September and I don't have anything lined up. I don't really have a place to go in the United States. That's an obvious choice.、Um, I, I do have friends you know, around the United States, but I can't really live with them for months on end. Like maybe a week, perhaps two at max at each friend's house. And they're all very spread apart geographically. And, and I don't want to pick a city in the United States just to go live in, just to have a place to live. So that's, that's my reasoning in, in going back to Japan. Yeah. I feel like listening to you, I can relate a lot because since graduating university last year, I decided to take a gap year, but I didn't really have a stable, secure place to be at. So I kind of had to be in Japan because that's a place where my grandma lives and she has a house here, but it's not really my permanent house. So since. Since last year, I feel like my international life or like an, life as an international kid is kind of over. Yeah, I definitely feel that because my passport country is the country that is easiest to live in. I have family there, not just my immediate family, but like you, like grandparents.、Um, but I do think, like, because of that, be, like, staying in Japan. I feel like the longer I stay, the harder it is for me to get out. And I've realized, you know, the previous dreams that I used to have a, as a high schooler are, are, aren't, aren't reality, you know? Like, I used to want to be、uh, an OBGYN, so a doctor that can speak multiple languages, you know, French, English, Japanese, and be able to work and be a doctor in multiple different countries if you just ignore licensing and, like, say I would be. So talented that I'd be able to get licensed in any country that I go to. And so I'd be able to like move around, have my kids be in international schools, or you know, just like 
be able to work and live in various different countries. But now I realize, you know, not even just issues with licensing, immigration law is really difficult. And for me, as a, not even a fresh uh, university graduate, I'm not even there yet. But once I do get there, I'm, you know, the last person that a country would really want in because I don't have experience you know, like, yeah, I have potential and I'm fresh-faced and I'm excited to work and learn, but why should they take me when there are so many other talented, highly experienced, highly skilled, talented people wanting to go into a country? And so I can't even, like, go to a country to work, you know? And, and, and like, that sounds obvious to most people, but I feel like to a lot of expats in Kikokushijo, we grew up thinking that, you know, anywhere we go, we can just work, and the world is our oyster, and, and that's just not the case. Yeah, because I thought it would be pretty easy for me to, if I go to the university, in, um, to a university in the UK, I'll be able to easily get a job there or something, and I didn't actually try to get a job in the UK because I, I realized I didn't really want to work there in the long run, but I know a lot of my friends who are internationals, um, who try to look for jobs in the UK and they found it really difficult to do so because they have to be the the cream of the crop. Is that a saying? Yeah. yeah right? Like they have mm-hmm. to be the one of the best to convince um, employers to kind of employ, um, to hire them, you know, at, at a much higher price than a, than a British um, fresh graduate, for example. So it, it just makes it really difficult because I thought that I can go out there in the world and wherever I choose, I'll be able to settle. But yeah. in reality, the place that's kind of easiest for me to um, develop is develop my career is Japan or like to find a job is Japan. But even in Japan, I'm I'm late to the game. In Japan, people start looking for jobs from their um, third year of university out of the four years um and you know they have a job before they even graduate whereas i've already graduated last year and i'm I'm trying to you know i could try to look for a job now but my chances are pretty slim mostly because i can't really speak japanese as well as everybody else can and it's just really difficult to decide on a career yeah i also feel like i have a lot of anxiety around moving because these past few years moving from one place near UCLA to another I've done that on my own and it doesn't I don't have that much stuff I can fit everything into like you know four like two suitcases and two boxes for example and plus a bed maybe or a desk and even then I I just feel so alone doing that and I really don't like moving on my own I feel like, you know, when you're moving, there's a lot of logistics involved and things are going to go wrong. And so to not really have anybody to confide in, to support you, is is really difficult. And I, I don't want to do that again. And to do that from here to a place in the United States that I think has good job prospects but might not and having to move again in the midst of a pandemic and having to stay probably in a hotel quarantining going to be very difficult to find roommates gonna 
be difficult to convince friends that might live in the area to help me because you know, I'm probably I'm from LA like I have a lot of germs so I'm just not looking forward to that at all and and so it just going to Japan for the summer feels like the easy option and you know I I'm I'm realizing the all of these now and I recognize how my parents probably had these anxieties and they did have each other my parents were able to support each other through any of the mistakes and the difficulties and challenges in moving um and I was just very lucky in not having to experience that when I was little yeah and it's just like it's good that we get all this experience moving around alone and stuff um but I mean the pandemic definitely plays into play uh comes into play here but at this point all I want is stability I feel like I've had this nomadic lifestyle for the past four years since I left for university because I would move to university but because I was moving um halfway across the world it's not like I could have packed my car up full of everything in my room and then bring it all the way up to Durham and then you know have my you know make it my own so I can't I went to the UK with maybe two suitcases didn't even fill up the room and I didn't really like buy new things because I was like oh I'm, I need to move anyway so for the past four years everything I've done in terms of packing I've done with the mindset of oh I'm moving at the end of this year so that's why I've learned it's good because I've learned to not accumulate things and I've learned how to pack lightly and to prioritize where I'm spending my money on but it's also that like it's so unsettling wherever I'm staying at is not a permanent home so it's just really really annoying and right now I just want this lifestyle to end and I want um I want to just like stay I want to have a place where I know I'm going to stay for at least two years or something where I can like buy decorations for my room and stuff (laughs) yeah but also like aside from this whole um I guess annoyance around the fact that I can't really settle anywhere I I definitely blame this nomadic lifestyle for the lack of my love life (laughs) (laughs) because whenever I because I've always been really reluctant to start anything just because I knew that I was going to move out of the place that I was at. And it's not just a fact of like moving out of the city, but just moving out of the country. You know, it's like when I was in Singapore, I knew I was going to graduate Singapore and go to the UK. And when I was in the UK, I knew that I didn't want to settle in the UK long term. So that's why I've been very reluctant to start anything. Yeah. So like it feels temporary, doesn't it? Yeah. Everything's just so temporary and it's just getting on my nerves recently. (laughs) so for me um in considering what my next steps are in relation to my current boyfriend he's Canadian and I thought you know it was gonna be super easy our next steps were to like live in the same city and oh my goodness it's so hard to you know, find a job, first of all, but to get sponsored and to make sure that you, like, pass the immigration, you know, like, the United States requires that an employer is able to show, like, that they weren't able to find a, uh, an American person, you know, someone already living here, 
or Canada requires like a, a point system. And so you are able to speak both French and English. Wow, that's a number of points. You have a master's. Oh my God, that's another whatever number of points. You have been in manager position for 10 years. That's a whole bunch of points. As someone who doesn't have many you know, desirable skills, it, it's just, it's very difficult. Um, but, you know, even considering all that, though, I do think there is a, a silver lining in that because I have no home country, no, no real home country, that I, I feel like I can move anywhere. And like, if I really wanted to, I could, I could go to Canada. I thought about moving to France for a little bit. There's, you know, the world feels much smaller and more accessible. I'm just more realistic about it now. Yeah. I mean, you should just get married to him, to be honest. Easy immigration right there. Easy. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I I wouldn't move for a man, but I guess I've never been in love, so I'll never actually understand how it feels like. Um, and, yeah, so I agree with the fact that I could technically move anywhere because I don't really have a permanent home right now, you know. But again, like we talked earlier, there's all that immigration problem, you know. I have to qualify and like show that I'm better than anybody else that that than anybody else in that specific country and I don't think I could just do that. I just don't have much self-confidence, but maybe I should have more um self-confidence. But yeah, yeah in terms great. of like yeah, I think you want to explore still, but recently I've just wanted to settle um, probably long term in Japan because living in Japan the past year, as much as I've seen a lot of like negative sides of Japan, um, I really love Japan and I can just see myself living here for the rest of my life, honestly. Yeah, it's great. So I want to go back to you saying that you won't move for a significant other. What do you mean by that? Well, it's just, from what I, what I heard, it seemed like you were willing to go live in your boyfriend's country because, like, you were willing to compromise to live with him in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if I'll be able to compromise my career and my long-term goals for a significant other, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that does. So, like, I, my philosophy is, like, I value myself and my career and my future, me, myself, and I on my own very, very highly. And, and so, like, I wouldn't move someplace if it went against my career and my happiness and all of that. I do think it, you can still be a feminist and consider a significant other in your strategic geographic moves because I think career is just one part of your life. And, you know, time and time again, I read and listen and watch things that say that your life partner is the most important thing for your well-being, where you can have a crappy job and not love going to work every single day and yet you can still have a, you know, a really great life that you love and a sense of well-being if you have a par- partner that's with you along the way. And so I do, th- I think it's 
I think it's a feminist thing to advocate for what you want and like if that involves moving countries then you know that's just the thing like like in the same way that I know that I will not live in hot places because that's not what makes me happy so I think it's the same thing but one thing that along those lines that I'm pretty sure about and it's a little controversial so like I'm gonna explain this I don't want to marry a Japanese man and not because Japanese men are ugly not because they are not good husbands not because of anything against him it would be because of his family where I don't want to deal with my mother-in-law being Japanese and having Japanese expectations of me as a Japanese person because like even if they might be an international family also by virtue of me being Japanese they would have expectations of me to act Japanese and to really listen to what they say in terms of what to do with my career and how to raise children they would they would want me to I'm assuming that they would want me to abide by what they want. And I, I just, I don't want to do that. Another thing is, I think I want to keep my last name. Either just keep it or hyphenate it. Um, and in Japan, you are not allowed to do that if you marry. If two Japanese people get married, one has to enter the family of the other one. Um, it doesn't always have to be the woman going into the man's family. Um... It could be the other way around, uh, but I just don't want to do that. Oh, really? I thought it was just because my aunt kept her name and my uncle has kept his name too. That's so interesting. I've no, I've, I'm pretty sure by law, like, you can't, you must have the same last name. Uh, well, I don't know. Actually, I, I didn't check the law. I didn't fact check it against the law so I don't know but I thought it was just more of like a cultural thing that they um changed their last name it's like an expectation to change the last name I'm pretty sure I'm right (laughs) and that (laughs) oh okay like if a Japanese person marries a non-Japanese person then they can have different last name oh well yeah I mean I guess I agree with you to a certain extent about the whole not wanting to marry a Japanese person thing um because growing up international I find it really hard and I'm pretty sure you do too uh, to relate to a lot of Japanese people in general not like men or women doesn't matter it's just really hard to relate to them and people you can't relate to automatically you don't see as like a romantic interest so In that sense, yeah, I agree that Japanese people have very different value systems than me, but if I meet somebody that has a similar value system to me and their mother and and my potential mother-in-law isn't, you know, the kind of person to push upon their own values and expectations on me, then hell yeah, I'll be um, willing to marry a Japanese person. But I feel like it it will make my parents really sad. But this is because... Um, this is gonna sound racist, and I will, I guess, explain it, but my mom wants me to marry a white guy, and it makes me uncomfortable to say this, 
um, especially with the conversation on race that's happening nowadays. But it's mainly because in Japan, hafu, hafu, which is, I guess, mixed race children, especially Asians and white people, like the mix of Asians and white, is like seen to be super pretty and like super amazing and super. And like, you're successful if you marry a white guy, you know?、Um, there's that sort of idea, like cultural idea ingrained in Japanese society. And I think my mom, for that reason, my mom wants me to marry a white guy. But I, I don't hold the same value as she does. I am open to marry whoever、um, that matches my value system, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that comes from. You know, xenophobia in Japan and like what it means to be like a, a foreigner or being international because my not my parents, my parents don't, I don't, I don't remember my parents expressing any preference for what kind of person I marry except for the fact that they sh- probably should be rich because I like buying expensive things. But my relatives. This is an aru aru where they'll, they'll come up to me and say, like, Oh my god, Karen, I'm so excited to meet your blonde hair, blue eyed boyfriend, and your, you know, super cute children. And that's just like an expectation where, like, because I am abroad, and abroad means white person, that I would end up with someone like that, where in reality, like, you know, there's. People of, of all different races that I meet in the United States and especially in California.、Um, and a lot of that, also, I, I, when it comes to you know, Asian and, and white people dating and getting married, I, I, I've really, really thought about this because my first boyfriend in high school was white and I'm. You know, I've learned a lot about like colonialism and the exotification of Asian women and yellow fever. And do, and so, like, whenever I, you know, find someone that's good looking, I, I hesitate because I know so much about yellow fever that I, I question whether I'm genuinely attracted to this white man or if I'm just, you know, this oppression and like,、uh, What's the word? Like, this expression is、uh, whether there's oppression or this deep self hatred of my own race is at play. I don't know which one is true in myself, and I do my very best to not judge on anybody else. And so I, 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 I try not to judge when I see an Asian woman and a white man. There are some pairings that I've seen that I'm fairly certain there's yellow fever involved, and, and see like the Asian person or the Asian culture seeing the white man as you know, the ultimate, ultimate prize and like what you should strive for. But there are other couples that I see, so many really beautiful ones that you know, they just happen to be from different cultures and different races. And so it's like a fine line. And I don't know. I, I have to continue to think about this as I, as I go on. Because, I mean, 
you know, I want to celebrate love and not, like, question <laughs> question other people's love. Yeah. I feel like if I end up dating a white guy, I will probably spend a long time questioning whether I actually like him or it's because of this deep-rooted kind of colonial, you know, this structure that exists in society, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, on the side note, what scares me about yellow fever, especially in Japan, is that Japanese girls fantasize, fantasize so much about white men, you know? It's just... I don't know. It's just any white men, no matter their background, is seen to be attractive. And I don't think it matters what kind of person they are. As long as they're confident and like confidently express their love for you, you suddenly fall in love with them just because you're white, not because, um, uh, not because you know you guys bond as a human being. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. So whenever like I'm on a train and then, you know, there's a group of Josh courses, which is a uh, female um, high schoolers. And then, like, a white guy walks into the train. There's that sudden, like, oh, my gosh, look at that guy, you know? And it just, uh, it's kind of, uh, it makes me so uncomfortable. Um, but, I mean, yes, it, it, everything, stuff like that, it makes me really uncomfortable. But there are a lot of Japanese values that I value myself and I want in my children. Um, and that includes things like independence from a young age you know kids go to school without being like kids go to school they're on their own since they're like six years old um i guess it's not really more a value but just just talks about how like safe japan is but um it's still you know japan's safe but i i don't see like a kid that goes to an international school at six years old going to school on their own, you know? So I think it's still somewhat a Japanese value. Um, I also want them to... This this thing called omoyari, which is feeling for the other person. Like, feeling for others. Yeah. Respect for others. No, feeling for others. And it's it's kind of clearly shown during this pandemic because in Japan, a lot of people wear masks regardless of the pandemic because they don't want to give their sickness to others, even if they don't have a sickness you know Mm -hmm. um so people a lot of people wear it out of politeness because they don't want to be coughing at people and i think that sort of sentiment is what kind of saved japan from the worst case scenario and it just shows it it just radiates throughout society that kind of um (laughs) i know that i want to instill bicultural values in my children and i think because i've lived in two cultures and very deeply in two cultures I have a pretty critical eye towards both and I've pretty much picked out what I like from both of them and I don't think this is unique to expats I think a lot of immigrant families um, bicultural families mixed race families get to experience this as well and it's a pretty pretty great thing um, and I th- I'm I think I'm very torn on this and you know I have many 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 years to think about this but when naming my children, I want 
I either want names that work internationally and so in multiple languages um, work very well in English and Japanese and potentially can be pronounced in, you know, if they end up living in Germany or, you know, Nigeria or something like that. Like they're able to be global citizens should they wish to do so. But then there's the other side of like, well, so what if their name is Ryunosuke? You know, like, it shouldn't be my child's responsibility to teach, not to, okay, they can teach other people how to say their name, but like, it shouldn't, it should be society's responsibility to learn my child's name and to acknowledge it and to want to learn and to say it. You know, if, if we are able to say Tchaikovsky or Jake Gyllenhaal, you can learn how to say Ryunosuke. It's going to take a little bit. You have to, you know, strengthen your tongue and to be able to say that. But I think having a name that is very Japanese is, is, would be a, like a daily reminder that they are not just American or they are not just, they're not just Canadian, if that happens to be, um, where they are Japanese even if they might only be half Japanese, that they have important values that I've, that I try to instill in them. Like, for example, you know, stressing the community and, you know, caring about other people, caring about your actions and how they affect other people. And alongside other values that aren't so Japanese, such as like advocating for yourself. But in all of this, I do think being able to speak Japanese really, really helps in understanding and giving other people Japanese values. And I don't think my Japanese skills are good enough, though, to be able to bring up my children in Japanese. And I feel like they're going to grow up speaking really bad Japanese. And I, I know that I definitely need to study Japanese before I have children. It's all right, you know, you have really good Japanese, I think. I mean, it's not as, it's not the best. You, you can't teach them, um, like, grammar in Japanese or whatnot, but just to raise your kids, I think you have good enough Japanese. You're yeah. perfect, just the uh -huh. way you are. Thank you, Yuka. I love <laughs> words of affirmation. Hopefully, hopefully I would be in an income bracket where I do my best when they're infants and toddlers with Japanese, but once they hit four, I'm able to send them to Japanese weekend school, even though I hated it. I'm definitely gonna do it for my children if I can. Yeah, so I definitely have visions, um, like a vision for how I want my kids to turn out. And a big, um, and I do really want to give them the childhood that I got, which a big part of was going to an international school. And I really want my kids to go to international schools. But at the same time, I'll be very worried that I'll be putting like, I guess I'll be having like, I'll have like really high expectations for them and they will feel very pressured to kind of reach those expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm the opposite. I want my kids to go to local schools. I want them to go to public schools. I just think, you know, they learn a lot. And if it's not in the culture or the country that I'm familiar with, well, then they will learn a lot. 
Yeah. Well, actually, I guess I, I take back my point about international school. So, so I guess it's like, um, I do, a big part of my childhood was also going to a local school in Japan. And I think it, going to local schools in Japan is what kept me very grounded. Um, because, you know, it's free education in Japan. So is it free education? Yeah, it's free. You just have to pay for the lunches, which is very cheap, by the way, and it's delicious. But yeah, and I would go to local schools and I would learn about like cleaning my own classrooms, cleaning the halls, cleaning the stairs, um, you know, not having school buses and not having like cars lining up in front of the school to drop off your kids, you know, and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, I do agree. I do want my kids to go to um both um, types of schools, I guess, growing up. I've noticed that international families that live in the U.S. and Canada, with the exception of French-speaking people, uh, everybody else, for the most part, attends local schools, from what I've seen, especially Japanese families. So we call it like ginchko, like, what does that translate to? Local schools. <laughs> local school. Whereas um, in Singapore, I feel like international families nearly all the time send their children to international schools. And I, from my personal experience, I think in the UK, it's in between. So some families send their kids to local schools, whereas others send them to, you know, local, like, state schools. What do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely agree, because especially in the U.S., the local school system is, I mean, there's disparities between um, regions, but um, there's definitely, like, good quality education in local schools, and I think people do respect local school education there. But in Singapore, for example, oh, and also in the U.S., it's all in English, right? So it's not like um, let's say we're going to Vietnam for like three years. Um, I, if my kid's already like eight years old, I would not want them to be learning Vietnamese for three years. I would want them to, to be learning um, English for three years instead, if that makes sense. Because English is more like a universally accepted, not accepted, but like a universal language in a way. Um, so in that sense, like I'll probably send them to an international school. But in Singapore, I think a lot of parents sent kids to international schools just because a lot of um, expats that live in Singapore are filthy rich. Like, they, you got to be rich to be in Singapore. So, and the rich people generally want to send their kids to um, expensive schools. And Singapore offers a wide range of really good quality international schools. And in the UK, like, yeah, like, there's a mixture of both, I guess, but... I can't speak for ex from experience because I only lived in the UK um, once I um, was in universities. So ultimately, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I want my children to experience a wide range of educational systems because by doing so, my kids would be very open-minded. But speaking of kids is making me like so excited to have kids like I just want to have a baby now if I could <laughs> if I didn't have all those like 
responsible like if I didn't need to financially be responsible for my children I would definitely have kids now if I could oh well here's a good question who do you want in the delivery room good question um I want okay so you know there's a very high chance that I'll never ever get married in my life because my love life is very dry um but if I do get married and um I have a very beautiful husband um I want my husband to be in my delivery room and just my husband because I don't want like a lot of people might want their moms to be in the delivery room but I don't want my mom to be in the delivery room because like if she's there with my husband mm-hmm. I don't know it's like when the when the doctor's like look the head's popping out they're both gonna be like looking down there and I just I don't know like they're gonna be sharing that experience together and I just don't feel very comfortable with that you know oh my god she changed your diaper she's seen it thousands of times I'm sure maybe a 10,000 times okay yeah but it's just like I'm an adult you know and I am pregnant because of my husband you know Japanese culture we don't really talk about the birds and the bees and I think no, you know it would be very weird for my yeah. mom to be there in the delivery room because I just I don't have that kind of relationship with her. But yeah, like, wait, so you would have your mom in the delivery room? Heck yeah. I would have really? my husband, hopefully. Um, and my mom, you know, and me. the strongest, wisest woman that I know after Yuka. Oh, um, my dad, I want, you know, like, why, why does only my dad, my mom gets to be there? Like, I want my dad there. And my sister, if... You know, we're still, like, homies. Um, I do hesitate saying my little brother, though, because he's 14 right now, and I don't see him as an adult right now. So it's a little different, you know, like, like gender equality between the siblings is, like, a little bit different right now. Um, but what is it, so what does it look like for, like, a typical Japanese family? Like, who's in the delivery room? I have no idea. Uh, but I do know that from... If I'm not wrong, my mom might have been alone when she was giving birth to me. Yeah, that's um, what I've seen on TV. Like, because, not, not, let not me in explain, like... right? So, um, now it's changed a little bit, but 20 years ago when good old Yuka was born. That was so long ago, oh my god. I know, it was like a different generation, it was a different time, you know, gender equality and blah 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 wasn't a thing. It was, but it wasn't much of a thing in Japan. Um, so I would say that my dad couldn't take time off work because of a baby. Um, so, and I had an older sister that was a year and a half older than me. So it's not like she could be left at home on her own, right? So, no, my grandparents took care of my sister's sister. Um, and then my mom went to the hospital. My dad was working. And... I don't know, like, I guess bringing my sister into the delivery room wasn't an option, so that's why my grandma stayed at home with my sister. And as soon as I was born, my dad got called, and then my dad, like, I guess that's, like, the only time you can actually leave work. That's emergency. so interesting. It's like, you know, he, like, came running to the hospital I once I was born. I don't like that. 
and then my my sister came with my um with my grandma and I guess yeah that was it so I think she was alone damn because I was like a difficult birth in the sense that I was a upside down baby is that no so all babies are upside down but what do you call it when my legs down breach so I was a breach baby is that how you use a word I'm not really sure I just know that the word is breach well basically I was leg down which meant that I had to be so in America apparently that means immediate c-section pretty much but but for me in Japan um you could induce labor early so that it like there's a lower you can like spin the baby around yeah so I was actually like induced two weeks earlier than my um, due date so that I was smaller and like softer so that I don't get stuck um so like you know my mom had to deliver in like a c-section room so that just in case I got stuck on the way out they could do an emergency c-section yeah. So it must have probably been like a really terrifying I know. kind of environment to give birth in. And I yeah. think it is pretty normal for Japanese families to, uh, Japanese mothers to be giving birth on their own. I don't know about now, but I think back in the day, yeah. That's bonkers. Like, I want everybody that I want in the room to be there. And if I change my mind... Hopefully, well, probably they'll they'll run out of the room because I'll be screaming at them. <laughs> I would also be okay with having a child with a life partner who's not my husband. Um, you know, maybe he'll be like a super long term, you know, life partner. We just haven't gotten married yet, or like maybe we don't believe in the institution of marriage. Um, or honestly, like. I want children, I know that I want children in my life, and so when it, you know, when the, the time comes, I might make the decision to just have children on my own, um, if I still want to have biological children. Hmm, I mean, it might sound very traditional for me to say this, but wouldn't you want to be married before you had a kid, just because money and logistics and all that? For insurance purposes, yes, because we would be able to choose, well, theoretically, if we're both employed, we should be able to choose between two insurance policies if we're in the United States, um, where insurance, you know, changes depending on on who you are and what what you work for. Um, But yeah, I, I think it'd be okay. I would be okay with having children with someone that I'm not married to. Um, but <laughs> I'm excited for my wedding, though, someday. Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for my wedding. But here's a good question, like, especially growing up so international, how do you know where you're going to have your wedding? I think I'll just have the wedding near where I'm living at that point, because hopefully I would have friends in that city, and they would be able to drive out and come celebrate with us. Uh, hopefully, we would be in a metropolitan hub with a huge airport or a decently sized one where friends and family can fly in. Um, so yeah, I'm not too worried about like where it's going to be just because I'm international. Hmm. 
I mean, I've thought about this way too much, and I hope I don't scare away any potential husbands um, that I haven't met yet or I have met already by me saying this. But yeah, I think it's just... I always grew up thinking that I'm, like... I Actually, I grew up not thinking about weddings at all, but recently, I've just met so many people from around the world, and where I realized that wherever I decide to do my wedding, whether that's Singapore, the UK, or Japan, um, or any other country that I'm going to live in in the future, there's always going to be, like, most of my friends would have to fly in. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, that's kind of sad, because that means a lot of people might not be able to come to my wedding. Because financially, it's not, it's a lot to ask um, people to fly all the way for you, you know? Yeah. I also think as expats or former expats probably by the time we (laughs) we 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 are at this life stage well i inviting wedding guests i feel like is going to be very difficult because the people that i grew up with and that i love and i would die for them am i still close with them you know they were huge parts of my life and i don't i don't really talk to them anymore so I guess I'm pushing off that problem to future Karen because I'm hoping that by the time I do get married, my life will be put together and I would have, you know, very good relationships with all of my childhood friends and the people that I grew up with and went to college with. Yeah, well, I hope I'll be invited to your wedding in the future. I will do my best. That's not very reassuring, but sure. Well, that kind of reminded me of a system that I have. Um, which kind of sounds lame, but it makes sense if you think about it. So basically, a lot of times, I'm a very social being, so it's sometimes it's very hard for me to um, figure out whether a friend is just a short-term friend that I have in the moment because we, we just somehow happen to be spending a lot of time together, or is this person like a close friend of mine, like a lifelong friend of mine, you know, that I can yeah. keep talking to about anything for the rest of my life. And the standard that I, that I the standard that I, that I use to um, decide on like what kind of friend this person is is whether I think about like whether I'll invite them to my wedding. So like I would to kind of set my priorities straight. And if I'm trying to meet up with friend A and friend B, and it's at the same time, and I'm not really sure which one to choose, I'll be like, okay, who would I invite to the wedding? And then oh, the one so that I choose, I will, it means that I care about them more. And of course, right now you're on the wedding list, but who knows, our friendship might change in a few years. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope it gets better. But my rule is the opposite, where when I'll be inviting my wedding guests hopefully I have enough friends to have make this, you know, an issue that I have to think about. Um, I'd ask, you know, would I want to go to dinner with this person tonight or tomorrow if they showed up? And would I want to go to dinner with them and their plus one? Because, um, you know, if I don't want to speak to them tonight or tomorrow, why the heck would I want them to, (laughs) why would I want to speak to them at my wedding? Like my day. You know, like, yeah, the institution of marriage is, like, bad and, you know, oppresses a lot of people. But, you know, it's going to be my day and I'm going to have a lot of fun. And so that's 
I think that issue for me is, you know, pretty much resolved. I just need to make sure that I have enough friends to consider. Um, but the people that I am fairly confident that I, if I were to get married tomorrow, that I would want at my wedding, they do, definitely a, a bunch of them do have to fly out. And I have figured out the answer to this, which is that I would have a very limited wedding registry. Um, for those of you who don't know what a wedding registry is, it's kind of like a, hey, we're getting married instead of giving us money. Can you buy this really nice blender for us? Instead of that, I would want people to fly out instead. I don't, you know, I don't want them to get me anything. Just come and be present. Come see me. Let's hug. You know, hopefully the hotel wouldn't cost too much. And then, you know, you can go and leave. Um, and then for local friends, perhaps it would be nice if they get us the nice blender. Um, but for family, relatives, and friends who, who can't make it out, you know, financially or just, like, because of health, I think I'll have an engagement party or a wedding shower, like, in Japan, for sure. That's what my sister's gonna do. Yeah. I mean, amongst all this certainty, I think we can both agree that Japan will always be that one guaranteed presence in our lives. Um... So yeah, it's pretty. It's nice to have Japan as that. For sure, my Japanese school friends from New York. Even though, you know, I don't live in Japan and I I don't talk to them a lot. They are there's always a reason for us to meet up when I do go back to Japan, and I'm hoping that we'll always find reasons to meet up again. Because I'll be going back. Because it, Japan will forever be in my life. Um, throughout our lives, we've met so many people from so many different places. But the friends that actually stay with you are the ones who have a common understanding with you. Um, kind of like share um, similar experiences and like a, have a common understanding for one another. And I really value the friends that I've gained throughout my journey. To all our listeners, if Japan is also a constant presence in your life, please let us know. We want to meet you after the pandemic is over. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to our six-part personal series. We really appreciate the time you've given to us, and we want you guys to continue the conversations in your circles. So let us know what you have talked about. Um, we're hoping to continue this podcast featuring our listeners um, and a more objective examinations of social issues in Japan and abroad. So thank you again and bye. Bye.